0: Today's guest on Schnepp's Connects created one of my favorite New York City venues. We have City Winery's founder and CEO, Michael Dorff, who delivers a unique, combined culinary and cultural experience to urban wine enthusiasts. Each City Winery offers intimate concerts, food and wine seminars, private event spaces, upscale dining, and a fully functioning winery. Today, City Winery has physical locations in New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, Nashville, Atlanta, Boston, Washington, D.C., and the Hudson Valley. Definitely keeping Michael busy. There are also four other concepts run by the company, City Vineyard at Pier 26, City Winery at Rockefeller Center, City Winery Chicago at the Riverwalk, and City Winery Greenway in Boston. Michael got his start in the entertainment industry by creating New York City go-to venue for independent music, The Knitting Factory, in 1986. Michael, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Sure. It's my pleasure. So you have a terrific success story, and I would love for you just to share how you got started. I mean, you have a huge business now, and and I find it fascinating to find out how people really just got started and what they do.
1: Well, I, I love what I do um and uh I recognize what I can't do early on. My friends were really good musicians in a rock band in Wisconsin, and could perform naturally sing on on key and and uh, I couldn't I sucked. I took two years of guitar <laughs> lessons and just I was pretty pathetic um but in high school, i I wanted to you know meet girls too, and be part of the you know the band, so to speak. and so started managing and promoting and doing sound and lights and putting up posters and doing everything necessary uh, to to be you know, the fifth wheel. Uh, and basically have continued in that role, if you will, um for now thirty six years where I you know respect. Incredibly, the the artwork that happens on stage, uh, and under, and recognize my role in in the equation. Um, obviously, have gotten more 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 uh, complicated by also having the roof over the heads of where it performs and what we have to do to keep um, our customers safe, especially these days. Our employees happy and safe. Um, and 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 create this great experience for people to to enjoy music, to enjoy wine, culinary, their friends, et cetera. So it, i I just I love what I do and and love the role that I'm in, but you know the the secret has been recognizing what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. I you know, I liked playing basketball too, but you know, and I had a decent outside shop, but I had to re- you know recognize that I'm not gonna be a professional, you know, basketball player. And <laughs> similarly, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a short Jewish guy. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta come to grips with that. And, and so um, same thing on the music. And frankly, the same thing on almost every aspect of the business. You know, I, I, I still, I'm not great at making cocktails. Um, I know I'm not a good winemaker. I know I'm not, you know, terrific with a lot of things in operations and need, people who are great at what they do um way better than me and 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 bring them into the team bring them into the into the sort of mindset of of ownership and and then and then execute
0: so i know knitting factory
1: well i live in
0: williamsburg i probably pass it every day talk to me about how that start happened in new york
1: city for you well you know, I guess the story continued. I came to New York with the band that I was managing um, and would get, I was getting them gigs at CBGBs and, and dozens of other clubs that were in uh, New York at the time. There's so few compared to what uh, today compared to what there was in the mid eighties. Um, and, and uh, so got, you know, more or less schooled in the deals that uh came to us sort of younger independent groups coming through. And uh, ultimately I stumbled on an old Avon office, a dilapidated uh, retail space on Houston street between Mott and Mulberry. And I convinced the, the landlord who was not much um, older than me and, and, and uh, had inherited uh, the building that, you know, I wanted to do a, a coffee shop meets art space. Originally, it was going to be called expressoism. Um, uh, and I was combining coffee and, and art, and that art was both paintings on the walls and poetry and alternative theater and music. And, and it, uh, luckily, I convinced the, the guy. It turned into the Knitting Factory, and, and within months of opening, we became really the home for so many different kinds of music that was just flourishing in New York at the time. you know, straight-ahead jazz, very alternative avant-garde jazz, you know, pop rock, very alternative noise rock, um, you know, weird blues, inside blues. So every places that didn't have a fit in other places came those artists came to uh, us very quickly. And part of it was simply that we had a fair door policy um again having sort of toured every venue in new york with with the band swamp thing that i was managing you know i learned how places had very complicated ways to to uh, almost pay to play and we had a very simple formula at the knitting factory early on it was basically 75 25 the artist gets 75 the house gets 25 okay. percent of the of the ticket and if uh-huh. 10 people showed up on the $10 ticket and there was a hundred dollar gross The band got 75 bucks. And if, you know, a hundred came and it was a $20 ticket and there's 2000 gross the band made 1500 bucks. And we were precise and honest. And the word spread that there's this kid from Wisconsin who was, uh, you know, fair and honest. And I think literally that more than almost anything else spread the word um, You know, pre-social media, pre-internet, true, legitimate, old school word of mouth. And, you know, great artists came our way. So Sonic Youth to Cecil Taylor, to Lou Reed, you know, to first Beck shows, to the first Indigo Girl shows. Awesome. Um, It was just a very, very vivacious time.
0: Well, listen, Wisconsin are good people. I went to Indiana University and I had a bunch of good friends, and, and we connected immediately because they were from Bayside, Wisconsin. I initially grew up in Bayside, Queens. Ah. So uh-huh. it's interesting. All of, them, all of
1: them have spread out beyond Wisconsin. Well, there's still some good people in Wisconsin, and like everywhere in this country, there's some uh, crazies as well. So.
0: <laughs> so obviously you started from the ground up. You began to, to really get some fantastic acts coming through. Where did the initial concept for
1: City Winery, when did that come into play? So after 9-11 and a bunch of things going down, the, the dot-com bubble burst in, in, a, in the U.S., the, the sort of change in the music industry from recorded music being valuable um, to live to my being diluted out of um, you know, real control ownership of the Knitting Factory. In 2003, I, I left uh, the Knitting Factory. Um, in 2004, I got a chance to do three things uh, that were important to me and, and sort of in wandering the desert of the world and wanting to, what what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Three things popped up. One, I started a concert series at Carnegie Hall called The Music of... Which was a tribute series to a great singer-songwriter performed by other musicians, bands, and it was raising money for music education programs for underserved youth. Cool. Um, and actually, I'm very proud to say 17, you know, years later, um, you know, I've raised about 1.7 million dollars for very important um, music education causes. So that was one thing, and it was great to be able to work at Carnegie, because I, yep. I, I was homeless without a stage. Um, I started a Hebrew school for my kids, basically, because I didn't want an overly, you know, religious thing, but I wanted a secular thing, you know, sort of lox and bagels, New York Times, and a little bit of Chava Nagila. And, <laughs> and like that, you know, and, 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 and it was called Tribeca Hebrew, it did really well within a couple of years, it got way too big, like 150 students and so I, I, I was able to luckily hand it off to another organization to sort of, you know, um, run because being a Hebrew school principal was definitely not in the cards for me. And then the third thing I did was I made a barrel of wine out in California oh. and, and had so much fun doing that, that I, I really, you know, said, uh, you know, I, and I had collected wine and loved learning about wine, but never made it. And it was so fun. Um, that I, I realized I, I really wanted to be involved in winemaking to some extent. And I could not move my family out West and, and, and needed to, you know, think about how to make wine in Manhattan. And, and thus, you know, in 2006, the development of the business plan of an urban winery, there's an old saying in, in wine, it's, it's easy to make great wine, it's hard to sell it. And then there's another axiom I always utilized, you know, uh, you know, in the entertainment business, which is the profits are in the popcorn. And so um, whether it's, you know, Yankee Stadium or a movie theater, like you, the money is made from the F&B, from the food and beverage sales. And so um, put all that together, basically, and City Winery was born, you know, a, a, a place where we were, were basically – letting all the box office for the most part go to the artists and i put all of my attention and our company's attention on high level service on the food and beverage Um, and obviously on the beverage side focus on wine and wanted to promote wine promote the wine that we were making promote other great producers wine serve wine in in Redell Stemware so that we're using the finest glasses possible. Now we break more glasses than any you know, uh, restaurant in any city we're, we're in. And I see that as a sign of success. It's hmm. kind of financially not the greatest move, but like when people get up during an encore and clap and start to move you know, from their seat, that usually breaks a few glasses. So a very successful show is where people erupt into applause and we break 30, 40 glasses. Um, I look at that the way, you know, one would maybe break glasses at a wedding and consider it good luck. And, and, and so, you know, but the combination of, of fine dining and real glassware with an intimate concert is a luxury experience, is an opportunity to really, really enjoy a intimate connection with with some talent that one might not otherwise, a respect for someone's time, you know, our customer's time. Not a lot of people have, you know, four hours, five hours to be able to go to dinner, you know, then go to a show, um, go somewhere for an after dinner drink. In our case, to be able to, you know, con, con, condense all of that into a fantastic two hour experience where you can sit at your table. Have a great meal, enjoy great wine, and watch a show, and still get home. You know, to uh, to 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 be you know get up the next morning was something I just knew an audience really was was looking for and missing in sophisticated markets around the globe.
0: Well, I have to tell you, it's it's really a terrific experience. To To attend the show there, and I went to the location on Varick Street. so was that the initial location, the first location where you planted your flag?
1: Yeah, we opened on, in in two thousand and eight um, on Varick Street, and then Chicago was the second location in two thousand and twelve, then Nashville two thousand and fourteen and Atlanta two thousand and fifteen and it just blossomed and then you know we have some second type of spaces with city vineyard. Um, which is uh, kind of our outlet for selling a lot of rosé and Sauvignon Blanc in the most beautiful setting, you know, on, on the river. And we have the same thing on the river in, in Chicago. And we have a, a green space in, in Boston. And we really love the hub and spoke um, way to utilize the city winery where we're making wine, you know, in the middle of the city, but then find a few distribution points i mean in in new york we we have a wine bar on the right field line of yankee stadium go yankees mm-hmm. you know but we're through we you know we want to do that at fenway we want to do that in philly like we we love that idea we're in uh, forest hills in new york so you know, where we can be in iconic spots either tied to culture or where we can connect with people to be outlets of our of our product but direct to consumer, you know, the ability to get it into people's hands, ultimately their bloodstreams as without, with, you know, going around distribution and retail is, is, is our focus. You know, your company exploded
0: and I want to, you know, hear about that, but, but I, I think every business has bumps in the road, but I have to imagine it was a shock to the system with your Varick street location. So I would love for you just to share that story and, and just hear what you learn from that experience.
1: Well, you know, a bump in the road is, I think, a uh, a very tame way. But I'll try not to swear here. But uh, <laughs> to, to, to what we to what we experienced, and and actually, you know, our our story, City Winery story, and and frankly, my career has been um, more than bumps in the road. Let's come potholes left and right. And, and, you know, um, it's, it's, it's looking at whether it was a self-inflicted mistake or something from the outside that, you know, was just an undue harm and unfortunate situation. Um, you know, how to, how to, to learn from it and quickly, you know, move from defense to offense, um, or, 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 and do it in the right way in the Menchie way and in, in, the, in the correct way. And so and also, just to know, let
0: our listeners like understand, get just give a, a visual of that location because it was a big, I mean, it's a big location that you must've put millions of dollars into, but can you just give a little background in terms of the size and scope and of that? Uh, sure. location? Well, all,
1: all of our flagships are 30,000 square feet. Um, Varick street started at 20,000 square feet and we were you know, really half the block between Van Dam and Verrick going to spring. Um, it was a 10,000 square foot footprint and we got 10,000 in the basement, 10,000 on the ground floor. It was an old printing facility. Uh, I love adaptive reuse of old buildings. A lot of our locations are adaptive reuse. Um, the idea of a new cookie cutter is uh, something that, you know, I guess we're, we're, we're kind of not, against I I don't the aesthetics and just even the concept the idea of taking an old building and and renovating it is 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 near and dear to our heart it's part of our DNA and there's something about the history the wood the material choices that all are part of what we like so Barrick Street was an old printing house brick and beam um, from from 1880 and it was owned by Trinity Church and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the church was was a good landlord at first. Um, They ended up uh, doing a 99 year lease with Disney to basically tear down our building and everything on the block, including some six story historic, you know, beautiful buildings. Um, And I'm not, I'm not even against the concept of, of development and growth. I mean, that, that's what makes the world go forward. And, and so they're building a a new Disney Tower, 1.5 million square feet on the block. I walked past it this morning because I live downtown. It's about now uh, seven stories high, and it's going much much taller. Um, and ABC, NBC, and I mean ABC and and ESPN, and um, you know a lot of a lot of t- TV and and media are 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 going to move and be headquartered in this spot. So, you know, we we got. Twelve months notice um, per our lease that this was happening. Um, unfortunately, shortly before we got the notice, Trinity had told us, um, you know, that this was not going to happen, and we were going to, you know, have more time. Um, I can't go deep into it because I have some. Um, we have a settlement with with all parties, and 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 look, at I I in the end, we moved into the greatest new location and it was a fantastic lucky opportunity for us to to fix every mistake that we ever had from varick street and and even though we built 10 more locations really after varick street this new one at pier 57 on 15th street and Westside highway is by far the greatest city winery venue and i you know it's going to sound ostentatious but as even ron Delsner, the great New York promoter had said the best music room he's ever seen. Most musicians and artists walk into our new space and go, "You built the single best live music venue ever So I look at the challenge that we had in in being pushed out of our Varick Street space and the unfortunate you know losses that came and, and pain from kind of having to move. but in the end, it worked out really, really well for us and and, and yeah, we had to persevere through that. And it was not, you know, uh, really fortunate for us that our, our opening date was supposed to be, you know, the end of March, 2020. I mean, you couldn't get another bump in the road as big and as bad as the pandemic launching when we were supposed to be having our grand opening. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a date on the, boards with Mavis Staples, to, you know, and 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 Brandy Carlisle and several others, but boy, May, to have Mavis Staples in our room, the legend, you know, um, I think she's coming to City Winery Philly coming up soon too, but awesome. like to have, you know, th- that voice, that history, you know, penetrate our new walls here was was something we're looking forward to, but, you know, talk about a bump in the road. I mean, you know, boom. Um but you know, before we get into the pandemic, just going
0: back to the to the real estate, you know, I'm also a very big believer that everything happens for a reason. And and you know, thankfully you landed that new fantastic venue. Is there anything you could share though from that experience, just with other people listening, in terms of, you know, what lesson you learned with with whether it was the lease or how the lease was structured or the investment you made before being notified? I mean, anything that you can share that other people could just learn from from that experience you had. Well,
1: I don't think there were, um, you know, we, we, the, when I opened in 08 with an unproven concept that in a big space in New York City, the, the, the opportunity to get an under market rent uh, in an old building um, was, was an incredible opportunity. So the trade-off at the time was accepting that there would be a demolition clause. It ended up being a great deal for us because uh you know they didn't demo the building for eleven you know years so um we 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 got the the value of of the risk uh reward there um, gotcha. so you know again I, I wish I could say' well, never sign a a demolition clause, but it's 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 um uh you know that that's not um, that's not the lesson here. I, I made the right decision taking that clause. Um, you know, I, I, look at I, I, I again. I got to be careful as to what I say yep. legally. But you need to look at who you work with, and look deep in the eyes, and understand if you can trust them or not. And even though you might have paperwork, you got to go with your gut. And I do think we've been very blessed to be, you know, to go with, to go with your gut and, and, and in the end have the right decisions, uh, be made. And, um, uh, you know, obviously you got to read paperwork. Um, but, but beyond the contract, you know, uh, when, when you're playing with the Goliaths in the world, um, sometimes the paperwork is, is, you know, isn't even your backstop. And so, you know, you just, You you need to go with your gut and be smart.
0: Thank you for that. Talk about the pandemic. I mean, you had exponential growth. You were just about to open up your new location. Uh, Music venues across the world had to obviously shut down. How were you able to financially get through it?
1: Well, we sold air rights. We sold historic tax credits. We Settled prematurely with Goliath on lawsuits um, Mm. in order to get cash. We over leveraged good loan to value mortgages where we own some of our buildings where we're not tenants and did a small capital raise. I mean, we did maybe six or seven quick moves in order to build up our cash reserves. Um, And then we did something that was the single hardest thing I've ever experienced as a business person, which was basically within a week where the writing on the wall was, we're going to be you know, closed for some time as a gathering business, and there's no way we're pivoting you know, to, to turn our, our world into a profitable online you know, experiential winery. Um, we had to furlough 1,000 you know, people. We had 1,300 people working for the company before the pandemic and, and went to 67, you know, top managers um, and some winemakers in each location so that we could, you know, make sure the wine that was on site was going to stay preserved. But sure. um, we had to let so many people go without any clarity on when we we're going to reopen. Um, that was the single hardest moment of, of our lives. And, and then, and then how to look at, you know, what we had in our balances and what we, you know, could anticipate. I mean, this is so, you know, at that moment before PPP, you know, was being talked about before there was save as stages and restaurant acts and, you know, yeah. new lifelines from the government, it was like, what the hell do we do to survive? And the only way to do that was to, to immediately stop, having money come out of our account because we would then have gone bankrupt very quickly. So, we had to tell everybody landlords, sorry, we're not paying you any money, you know, uh, and and team, you know, your your furloughed and team that we need you to come in and work and keep make sure the wine is working and our our you know, people don't, you know, steal everything we got in our, you know, come in and, and by the way, we all have to take pay cuts and we all are going to, you know, so it was just, it was really, really hard to, 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 to um, tighten the belt so far and then scramble and have the 67 people work harder than they've ever worked in order to, you know, find these little pockets of cash to build up our accounts so we could survive. And, and, you know, then you know, the PPP started to roll in and, and the summertime for you know, 2020 and summer 21, even because this thing continues to go, um, you know, outdoor dining, outdoor ability to sell, you know, drinks, um, thank God and look at the world, you know, going, all right, this is gonna, we're gonna be living with this. So what do we do to do it safely? And, you know, I've taken that, that sort of thesis the whole time we were the first restaurant in New York to do testing at the door a rapid test for customers. We charged yeah. in, in October November of 2020, you know, well before the vaccine, was like, you know, learned about rapid testing, and it wasn't cheap then either. It cost us 52 dollars a test with a doctor because they had to have they, they, the, the whole rapid testing. Self rapid testing was 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 illegal actually in the fall of 2020. So you know, and I tried to get Danny Meyer and and Calicio and you know like hey guys, look, we all got to do this. And I was the only schmuck to do it. Um, <laughs> but we charged fifty dollars. You had to get tested, you know, on your way in, staff and the public, and. Obviously I had to eat that for all our staff, but it was the only way to create a bubble of safety. And it became clear if, if we're gonna try and serve people and we know we wanna serve people and we know people want to be served and, and, and gather, but gather safely um, in a restricted world, this is all we could do and all we could think about. And, and we did it and we did it for six weeks. And on both sides, again, the customer and our staff, Elated, we were safe. We caught some people who didn't know they had COVID. They had no symptoms; they're asymptomatic, wow. and, that's crazy. and and you know that the beauty of rapid testing in that sense, you know, and they were able to go get a PCR test the next day, and and in some cases, some very healthy individuals found out that they actually, you know, had COVID nineteen. And so, you know, that's what we had to do at the end of twenty twenty as vaccines started to roll out. Became very clear in the spring. We have to be a VAX only facility. We need our staff to all be VAXed and we need our customers to be VAXed, you know, and that it's just, it was clear if, you know, we have exit signs and sprinklers and, you know, panic hardware in order to keep people safe inside our space, God forbid, there would be an emergency. This is just another layer of, of, of public safety that we, especially in the gathering business, in the larger venues that need to bring people together and you saw some smart players you know i'm not a huge fan of everything you know madison square garden does but they immediately jumped on this in a very smart way and said okay you got to be vaccinated and again I, and i'm not was not a super fan of of the governor and what they were you know how they were mandating things but one, you know coming up with the excelsior pass which still to this day is one of the few states that have that created a digital passport for vaccine proof. That was a smart thing to do. And these yeah. smart tools we needed to ad- adopt. And so we did early in New York for about a month in Nashville. We were the only venue that was doing vaccine only. We would wow. get hate letters. And, huh. and there was a band that set up a protest for three weeks every night at seven o'clock in front of our place in Nashville. going. Wow you know you i mean the name calling was unbelievable but you know you fascist commie which first of all makes no sense right and you know you you i thought you do you know they knew i was jewish and they're like you jews you i thought you like to make money i don't understand why would you not allow us to come in like like stupid just crazy stuff going on in this country. Yeah, terrible how, how it's divided us. It know, has divided us as terribly, but we... Well, listen, stuck I'm, to glad, I'm glad stuck you put your foot down size. and
0: stuck to it. And, you know, the big question I have for you is you operate in all of these you know, large cities, but they're very different cities. How have you seen the differences in the recovery at the different locations?
1: Well, there's no question that south of the Macy, Mason-Dixon line um, there's differences. And state by state, governor by governor, political influence by political influence, there are differences. Now, luckily, Atlanta has a very smart mayor, but is fighting, you know, a governor that is, you know, of the other ilk. And Nashville has some smart local uh, 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 government, but the you know the overall prevailing state government is is the opposite. Um, you know we I'm I'm grateful we're not in Florida because DeSantos is out of his mind with all due respect and and it's criminal. But you the influence that happens, you know, on the right was really really bad for the science of, of of of, of stopping the spread of the virus. Now I'm upset with my my lefty liberals right now for all kinds of, of economic bad decision-making that's going on in common, but that's another story. Both sides have gotten so, you know, acrimonious and, and not level-headed that it's been very difficult, but certainly our Georgia and Nashville locations were the most problematic, both for the public and the staff, but Mm -hmm. we just had to put our heads down and go the right thing to do is to keep people safe. The artists want it. We need to do it for our staff. We need to do it for our public. The majority of our intelligent public patrons, you know, want a safe room to go to. And so we're just gonna, you know, continue to to err on the side of caution and and create as safe establishment as we possibly can can have. Have you found that other venues have followed suit from your lead in those cities? Yeah, I'm. I'm very. You know, I. I was very outspoken. Um, I was. You know. Uh, you know, we're an independent company, but I. I. I spoke very publicly about the two 900-pound gorillas in our industry, Live Nation and AEG, to 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 be more aggressive about vax-only policies, and and it wasn't only because of me. I, I think everybody was pushing, but um, that eventually. Uh, uh, moved in that direction um, and yeah I wrote many op-eds and I spoke a lot about the need and and over time it, it, it moved that direction. I, you know the, 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 the challenge we've faced and we still are is that simultaneously besides the political problems which you know is, is an issue um, staff and service across the hospitality industry is, is really challenged, And it's challenging in a lot of places. We're seeing it in the airlines industry, we're seeing it in all kinds of things, yep. but, but certainly the restaurant and hospitality industry is, has, has had a, a second punch in the gut after the pandemic. And I, I mean, I would almost estimate 50% of our, of our industry has left to go to other industries. Um, make more money, work less hard, and, and, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. So we, we've got just fewer people who are veterans of the hospitality and fewer new people going into it that we can hire. And, and so when you add a layer of you know, where, say, 20% of your, of, your, of your staff maybe are not there yet or comfortable on the vaccine policy, it becomes very hard to to let more people you know go when you need them desperately yeah um it, it's gonna all shake out in the in the in the years and uh, and i and i'm very actually very happy that more living wage realities are 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 coming into our business um you know I applaud so much what Danny meyer has been trying to do over the years of Mm -hmm. of create a more equitable scenario for back house and front of house. And like, these are real issues that, that need to get addressed. And, And some of it is, is based on some ridiculous laws. And some of it is just the unfortunate history and realities. So the pandemic will have a positive effect on bringing up everybody's wages. And I think that's really great. We're going to raise prices, and we're going to do what we need to do to to balance it out and 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 operate successfully as a business. But wages are going to go up, and that's well, a great thing. that's good to hear
0: from someone that employs so many people, because obviously everyone knows there's risk to that. But you know, as a business person, realizing that it's necessary for your staff is is nice to hear. You know, Michael, I only have a few minutes left with you, but I would love to hear your personal favorites in terms of artists from the beginning of your career to to today. Like who? who would you say like is the top of your list that you, you just love watching live? Well,
1: you know, I, I'm, first of all, thanks for, for letting me be on the show for a bit. I told you I was a little and therefore, you know, the 45 minutes went really fast, but, um, uh, last week we had Coldplay play in city winery, New York. It was a, a awesome. kind of a secret show, the, the week of their performance in central park, um, I mean, boy, was that really cool to see! Um, I used to say uh, one of my favorite shows ever at City Winery was Prince. We had him a couple nights before he died. That wow. was that was just an absolutely you know uh, epic uh, show that that forever will be ingrained in my um, brain. You know, I was a big Lou Reed, Velvet Underground fan before coming to New York, um, and to be able to. To connect with Lou Reed um, uh, over many, many shows and many bottles of wine, and 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 become a friend of his cool. was for me one of the single highlights of of doing live music in New York, um, and 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 so many memories of of him before he passed. Um, but I, I, there are so many. I, I have photos on the walls, but. You know, every day, um, you know, I I feel so blessed to be able to to do what I do and meet people. Um, we had John Mulaney for 37 shows here. What a treat that was to watch his craft and the work that he did. And I mentioned Mavis Staples before, like to connect to someone like Mavis Staples, um, who again will be in Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. Like, and I'm going down there for it. Like the history that she has experienced in and, and the work she's done in civil rights is one of the most important things in this country's history. And to like have her grace okay. our st- stage is just a privilege. And, and whether it's her or the 30 year old Lady Lamb who's on our stage in New York and was in Chicago last week, like we're just so lucky to have, you know, these incredibly talented artists you know, on our stage and our job is to make it as fantastic a, a show experience for them. And the better that they feel, whether it's the catering or the sound, you know, on stage, the better that they feel comfortable on stage, the better performance they they give. And the better performance they give, the fans are then even happier. And then the more oh. love they give back to the artists. And so there's, there's so much synergy that goes into a magical show. And to be able to do that in stages around the country, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And is Philly your newest location? Philly opened a couple of weeks before the pandemic, um, you know, uh, closed it for a year. Um, so it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Talk about potholes and timing. But yeah, Philly is reopened and, and uh, very excited to be there. Um, we opened in Hudson Valley also during the pandemic, so we've had a few new places, and we have five more to announce in the next few months, which I can't say wow. yet. But we're we got we got very busy in the last uh, last year. But that's incredible. I mean, I guess you know one of the things I
0: want to leave with is you know you've really gone from starting from absolute scratch to uh, you know, a business that, that does business all over the country. And, and to be saying that you're preparing to announce five new locations, I mean, it's mind-blowing. What, what advice can you give just in terms of being able to grow a business? You talked about your passion and, and what you love to do. But is there any other things that you can provide that, or, or learning experience that you've taken out of this last year that, that's helping you continue to grow? Um,
1: I mean, as you just said, you got to do what you love, uh, and you got to be willing to take some risks. Um, I I I say this, and I don't mean it as a Microsoft uh, commercial, but um, you know, think in Excel, and then sell in Word or other ways to color the Excel spreadsheet. But make sure that there is some realistic bottom line that a simple Math equation can show you. So you know, a lot of times I get sent business plans and and presentations and ideas that come, and there are these beautiful, you know, color presentations or whatever, whatever it might be, three D modeling. But it wasn't thought through and just a simple. This is what can come in. This is what's going to go out. And this is what might be left. Um, that's that. You know, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but you know you have a lemonade stand, you know, there's a cost to the lemonade. And, you know, unless you're squatting, there's probably some, some real estate e- equation there, yep. just th- think through it all. And, and, and if there's something on the bottom line, that's realistic, then, then put a lot of time into the presentation and go for it. And, and hopefully you love what you're doing, but, but, but think about it very practically.
0: Well, Michael, you're a great success story and, you know, I wish you all the best and and continued success and and thank you so much for being with us.
1: It was my pleasure. Uh, Thanks again for having me.
0: This is the Schnepps Connects podcast. To listen to our podcast, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream us on all major podcast networks.